Oh, would you open up uh, your Bibles to the Old Testament? Relatively early in Scripture is the book of Judges. You've got the Pentateuch, right? And then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. A couple of the historical books early on. In, in the book of Judges, we, we are blessed to be able to hear the story of, of individuals who, who God raised up in his perfect timing. Who God raised up to lead his people. And there was a, there was a strange dynamic that happened for them as they did that. Um, what God would do would be to place his Holy Spirit on an individual, and and that Holy Spirit would lead that individual to lead the people of God, and and as a result, the people of God were set free. Well, in Judges chapter six, he says, "By faith," because he's stumbling to find Judges. There it is. In Judges chapter six, there's an amazing story of. Uh, One judge in particular, Gideon. Pick it up with me, would you, in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizai, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you. Almighty man of valor. Now keep in mind, Gideon was hiding in a wine press right now, hiding from the Midianites, right? And Gideon said to the angel, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Anybody prayed that prayer in the last two years? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Here's one of those but gods, right? But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. The very word of God. If you know the story, you know that God gave um, uh, Gideon an amazing army. When he put the word out, all kinds of people responded. But God said, Gideon, there's too many, right? If, if, if you deliver Israel from the Midianites with, with all these soldiers, people are going to say you did it by your own strength. Offer any of them who are frightened to go home, right? Think how many times as you face COVID in, in, as a nurse, right? Um, if, if someone had said, anybody afraid to go home? <laughs> I'd have been out the door, right? 
Um, well, a bunch did, right? Still too many. Like 28,000 left, right? Still too many. The Lord led them down by a brook and, and had them drink water. And out of all those maybe 30,000 plus soldiers, He chose 300. Now 300, but 300 with, with torches. And 300 with, with clay um, pots that they put over those torches to hide the light. And with, with many trumpets, right? And in this amazing story, Gideon shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They blew the trumpets. They broke the jars. And, and God delivered the people of Israel from the mighty Midianite army. Praise God. He's still in the business of delivering his people. Amen? But, but, sometimes he does it through brokenness. Turn to Psalms, would you, for just a moment. There is an incredible chapter that is a record of King David's journey from pride to brokenness. When Nathan the prophet boldly came to him and said, 51 by the way, when Nathan boldly came to him and said, you are the man, you are the guilty party here, David. David's spirit finally broke and in repentance he cried out to God. I commend to you this entire chapter. But I want to take you directly to one verse uh, two verses, actually, in the latter part of Psalm 51, beginning at verse 16. David had learned something. He learned that, that God does not delight in sacrifice, right? He says in verse 16, For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. Believe me, he knew how. You will not be pleased with, with a burnt offering, no, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17, that is our memory verse for today. Would you read it with me one more time? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What is our address? 51, verse 17, the very Word of God. Oh, thank you, God. Well, while wow, we began our study of extraordinary prayer, we noted that, that prayer is a really dangerous thing. And I would completely understand if, like me, at certain seasons of my life, you chose to take a step back, Right? We have been overwhelmed with the majesty and glory of God. Who are we that we should so boldly approach the throne of grace? Many of us, many of us have taken a step away. We know deep in our heart of hearts that you cannot pray without being changed. Amen? It changes you. 
Right? There's this mystery of prayer that, that does God didn't change his mind? No, God knows exactly what's going on. What changes when we pray, when we pray is, is not God, because he has a perfect plan for us, and he's working that perfect will in our lives. What changes for us is us. We talked early on of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, oh God, what a dangerous prayer, right? Today, I'm going to invite you to pray another one. Break me, oh God. Break me. Did you hear the story in the middle of the song from, from Mark chapter 14, right? Uh, for the second time recorded in Scripture, probably one of many times that it actually happened, but for the second time recorded in Scripture, one at the beginning and now at the end of his ministry, Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee. And in both cases recorded in Scripture, their names were Simon. Understand that Simon is like John or or Bob or, or Robert. You know, it is, it is a very common name in Israel. Um, Jesus is in the home of Simon, this time we're told that, that this Simon is a leper, very possibly, this is completely Dave right here, very possibly it's someone that Jesus had healed of his leprosy, right? Though that story is not recover, recorded for us, but he's been invited into this leper's home. And, and a woman uh, comes in, now this story is recorded for us in two other Gospels as well. In the Gospel of John, we're told that that woman is Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, right? A dear, close friend of Jesus. We're told that this woman comes into the home, right? And, and I'm having so much trouble today. I keep going, why am I not seeing the scripture? I'm in Matthew, not Mark. Um, Mary comes into the home and she has something in her hands, right? Something very precious. Um, the scripture actually translates it as, as alabaster. An alabaster, which in and of itself is an amazing, uh, amazingly uh, precious jar. I do not have an alabaster jar here today. Um, I, I have a, a terracotta one. <laughs> Um, I'm on a budget. What can I say? And, um, but, but I wanted you to kind of visualize what that might be like, right? Now, now know that, that what was held in that jar was something called uh, um, nard in Scripture. It's actually shortened for something uh, referred elsewhere as spike nard. And, and it is a very, very precious uh, extract from a plant that only grows in very northern India and Nepal. So picture the thousands of miles uh, of distance between where Jesus is and where this originated. It made it amazingly precious. And what it was used for, many things, it had some healing characteristics for it when people were in doubt um, it, it was used for healing, much like myrrh, and, but, but most often it was something that was treasured someone's in whole life so that when they died, 
someone might be able to anoint their bodies. I'm going to ask Miranda. This is not the two little jars, Miranda. If you get those started on either side, this is not nard that's coming around. This is a special ointment that that I as a pastor use um, when I'm anointing people. And it has um, not spikenard in it because I can't afford it. Um, it has um, frankincense and myrrh in it. But but I want you to just smell as this gets passed around how how distinctive that smell is. What the woman did was was collect that. Now those of you who've been to Mexico with us, do you remember when we were um, when we were uh, uh, traveling around Mexico, oftentimes we would see a partially built house. Do you remember that? And and from Americans we we kind of think uh, why would they start and we're thinking, is this an example from scripture of someone who didn't count the cost before they began? Right? They started to build something and they couldn't complete it. I thought that for the first several times I was down there. I finally asked somebody, why is it there's so many partially built houses of cinder block um, everywhere in Tijuana? Right? And then someone shared with me very patiently. They said, you don't understand that, um, that when these people get any resources at all, um, they um, don't... Um, translate it to coins and bury it in the backyard, right? They don't have access to banks. What they do is invest it in cinder block, and then that day they go out and cement the cinder block into the wall, right? So you can imagine what that's like, like 30 different episodes of building going on in this thing. But that cinder block wall is their investment, right? What am I talking about cinder block for? Because the same thing would happen with nard. What they would do is very rare and very expensive. And so they would collect it. They might have some resources and, and they would invest it in, in spike nard or nard and they would collect it in the jars, right? And hopefully over the course of their life that, that they, would, uh, they would collect enough so that there would be enough for the anointing of their body or... If the economy dropped and, and everything went south, they have a treasure, right, that they could sell. And in this case, the women both had a very valuable jar, an alabaster jar. Uh, I, I discovered that Hobby Lobby does not uh, carry alabaster jars. I look. Um, um, but also it was filled with something, with something very precious. Isn't that interesting, that smell? Isn't that interesting? Um, it's very, very memorable that the smell of, uh, in your case, frankincense and myrrh, in her case, spikenard, right? So what happens? She comes in, it's a flask, not like this, and she breaks the neck of it and anoints Jesus' head with this nard. And, and immediately there is a, a reaction, right? For one thing, it's almost Passover, and one of the traditions at Passover was that you did something special for the poor, right? At Passover, it was a time to, to do good works on behalf of the poor. And so everyone's thinking, well, what can I do this year at Passover? Like we think, what can I do? What can I give up for Lent? They thought, what good work can I do at Passover? And, and, and to see... Uh, something worth over a year's wage, wasted, right? Um, the word right there is really interesting. Um, the word is, is actually 
perdition. <laughs> perdition. So when later Judas, who's complaining about wasting the nard, betrays Jesus, Jesus calls him, what? Son of perdition, which, which most of us uh, didn't realize means son of a wasted life. Right? Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? That Judas, not just Judas, all the disciples are very upset. What, that could have been sold and over 300 denarii. By the way, how many, how many people, how much, how much denarii did it take to feed 5,000 men, possibly 20,000 people at, at, when, when Jesus fed the 5,000? 200 denarii. Do you, are you starting to get them? Um, you could take 20,000 people out to dinner with the value that was wasted that day, right? Jesus says, let her be. Leave her alone, for she has done something very beautiful for me. Let's, let's think together, shall we, about what this woman did. Because in a very real sense, what she did was make a powerful statement. In a very real sense, what she did was live out a prayer. A very visible prayer. Right? Well, what, what was she making a statement about? Right? First of all, I think clearly she's, she's making a statement about herself. About herself. If you're taking notes, we just picked up the notes right here. What about herself? She, she is saying, I understand what's going on right here. I am beautifully broken. Right? I am beautifully broken. Now, now I don't want to confuse you. Uh, in the Gospels, there's a recording early in Jesus' ministry when he's at the home of a Pharisee named Simon when a woman comes in weeping and anointing his feet with her tears and, and with ointment. And, and it's a very powerful, a very powerful story, right? Because, because Simon doesn't get it. He doesn't get what's going on. And Jesus in order to help him understand, tells him a story. He says, Simon, there was a man who had loaned money, and he uses a figure that I'm going to translate roughly to $300,000 in our, in our economy today. There was a man who loaned someone $300,000, and he loaned another person $50,000, and he forgave the sin, or excuse me, the, the debt of both of them. Which one, Simon, do you think loved him more, right? Uh, and, and wisely, that Simon said the one who owed him more, right? Oh my goodness, beloved. What do we owe God? Everything, right? He is our creator, right? He is our redeemer. redeemer. He is our savior, right? He's our friend, right? We owe him everything. And, and Jesus says to Simon, he who is forgiven much loves much, right? So this Mary now, 
three years later. This Mary, now two days before Jesus is betrayed, right? This this Mary now shows us something. She has been beautifully broken, but she has been also uh, uh, amazingly healed. How do I know this? How do I? How can I say something like, "She's been beautifully broken"? Look what she's doing. She uninvited comes into this house, right, and and uh, and breaks every rule in the rabbi handbook. Right? And, and doesn't seem to care at all what people think. Her reputation before people didn't matter, right? The only people who let their hair down in public were prostitutes. The only people who washed someone else's feet were slaves. Did she care what anybody thought about her? No. She, she was single-minded adoration and devotion modeled for us what's really important. With single-minded adoration and devotion, she focused on the one who really mattered. She focused on Jesus, which kind of betrays something. Remember, he or she who uh, is forgiven much, loves much. Let's, Let's flip that. He or she who loves much must be forgiven much, right? She was not only beautifully broken, but she was faultlessly forgiven. Faultlessly forgiven. Interesting how those two are paired together in the scripture, isn't it? Because we shy away. No, we run away from brokenness. But how can we understand the grace of God. How can we understand the mercy of God unless we go through that journey together, unless we fully comprehend and own and confess and maybe display for others to see our brokenness, right? It's only when we display our brokenness that people can see our forgiveness. Why does so much of the world struggle to even Seek the forgiveness of God because they do not understand how broken they really are. Right? They do not understand. She was beautifully broken. She was faultlessly forgiven. But she was also completely committed. Completely committed. It went by really fast in the scripture. When when Jesus was describing... um, when Jesus was describing the experience, he said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. You'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. Note that he's not saying that, that it's not good to serve the poor. He's saying that you can always do that and you should do that. Provide for the poor. But then he says something really odd. She has done what she could. It's actually kind of a bad translation into English. Um, What it actually says is what she had, she did. Isn't that interesting? What she had, she did. This woman was completely committed. She gave all that was in her power to give to Jesus in adoration, right? 
Oh, she was making a powerful statement about herself, but she was also making a powerful statement about Jesus. About Jesus. Now, let me start at the most simple level. She's saying He is the Anointed One. I stumbled because um, there were many who were anointed in Jesus' days. That a king would be anointed. Uh, a prophet would be anointed. A, a priest would be anointed. In, in all of that community church, we anoint our leadership. When they begin their ministry, right? We ordain them and anoint them. Why was she anointing Jesus? Was it, was it just the, the customary uh, uh, courtesy, right, that you would do, like washing someone's feet, right? Was it a customary a courtesy done with uncustomary extravagance? Is that, is that what she was doing? Or was she consciously setting Jesus apart for his ascension to his throne as King of kings and Lord of lords? Isn't that amazing? If that is true, look who God is using to do it, right? Uh, 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 a broken Woman, not a prophet, right? Not a priest. Uh, uh, a woman who just threw herself at Jesus' feet, right? Wow, was that what she was doing? Well, we don't have to speculate because Jesus tells us exactly what she was doing, right? In any case, Jesus gently interprets her actions for those in the room, and he does for those of us here Today, she is preparing his body for burial. Right? What is this used for? It's used for anointing bodies after they die. Right? She is preparing ahead of time his body for burial. Now, those of you who are very familiar with the Easter story, um, when he was crucified, he died right before the the Sabbath began, right? And so, uh, actually, the Passover began. No, excuse me, Sabbath began. And so they took him off the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb, donated by a rich guy. But there was not time, guess what, to anoint his body. And, and, and bless their hearts, on Easter Sunday morning, what did they do? They took all that stuff. They went to anoint his body, but... but his body had already been anointed, right? And his body was not there. He had risen from the grave. So, so Jesus, she's done something really beautiful. She gets something that nobody else here in the room, not even my, my faithful disciples who have followed me for the last three years, men and women, not even them have, have understood, right? Not even they understood. What I love about this woman, though, is is I don't know that any of those answers would have been wrong. As happened in the first time, it did not appear that Simon gave Jesus even the customary courtesy of having someone wash his feet. Uh, I, I don't know that she was wrong in anointing his, his head as well as his feet because he was a king who would ascend a worldly throne and crush his enemy, uh, you know, through... Um, Throughout eternity, right? She, she is anointing a king, yes, but a king who seemingly only Isaiah understood, a king who had come 
to die. And who now was the true anointed one precisely because he was going to die. You see, he would pour out his blood for many. We remember those exact words in the sacrament of Holy Communion we're doing. He would pour out his blood for many. She poured out the nard, right? Jesus poured out his life. What she was saying. And I pray none of us miss was that Jesus and Jesus alone is of supreme worth. He is worthy of all you are and all you have. He is worthy of adoration. She was making a statement about herself, certainly, but she was also making a powerful statement about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who alone is worthy of our worship. So my question for you, come on up, worship team. My question for you, Christian was just looking at me, giving me the signal in the back. Um, My question for you is, what statement are you making? I want, I, want that, I want that to stick for just a second, right? Because, because it's really easy just to go Sunday after Sunday or Bible study after Bible study, even prayer time after prayer time, and in the routine of it all to forget the one to whom we're praying, to forget the one whom we're setting apart. What statement are you making about Jesus, beloved? What statement are you making about Jesus with your words, with your life, right? What statement are you making about yourself with your actions, with your words, with your life? What will the, the after, I always said after taste, the after smell, can you still smell that in your, in your mind? That's powerful stuff, right? What will be the fragrance of your life, beloved, on the world around us. If, if my life could only say one word, I would want that word to be Jesus. If my life could only say two words, I would want those two words to be Jesus Messiah. Right? Pray with me. Well, Father, you prompted me just even then that some don't understand what that word Messiah means. But I thank you that Jesus left his throne in glory and came and became one of us, God, so that so that we might see God in the flesh. He said, I and the Father are one. I have come to save. The Son of Man has come to save. Oh, Jesus, I pray today, if, if we're still doubting who you really are, that today you might allow us to risk putting all that we are and all that we have on this truth that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you came in the flesh to offer yourself for us. And God, we believe by faith that everyone who believes what Jesus did on the cross, that he took our place 
on the cross. Everyone who believes that you validated his life and his death by raising him from the dead. God shall, shall be beautifully broken. Shall be a vessel, God, worthy of the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of us, God, by faith say today, though we are broken in so many ways, even every shard of our life is going to declare that Jesus is the Christ. God, even though we are broken, we camp on the truth that a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. 